Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. You went, what time did you get about? Four o'clock? Four. Right. And in between finishing your stupendous uh, appearance on, on, on Front Row, Radio 4, <laughs> you presumably drank alcohol. I drank alcohol. And um, went to terrible clubs. I went to a club um, on Old Compton Street that was decorated with Barbie dolls all over the ceiling. And they'd been sort of pushed through the ceiling, so their heads had disappeared and their legs were sort of splayed out. So you looked up in the half-light and you just saw these Barbie legs hanging down. This is horrible. And it was, <laughs> and it was a, an absolute nightmare. Yeah, and you had to sit on um, garden gnomes as well. You sat on a gnome? You pulled up a gnome <laughs> and you perched Make on it. yourself at gnome. <laughs> gnome sweet gnome. And all I know, location-wise, is that it was near Les Miserables. You know how everything nowadays Les is Les Mis. Like, yeah, near Les Mis. In, in uh, Les Mis, sorry. Lovely. Yeah, it used to be near Priscilla, that kind of thing. Now it's near Liverpool. Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Yeah, <laughs> you work in you worked in Chelsea, haven't you? I used to work selling tickets, tickets for uh, Mamma Mia. Yes, yeah, and never saw the show. None of us ever saw the show. They wouldn't comp us, even though we worked for it for a year. <laughs> You're kidding me. Says Cameron McIntosh. But we used to get his free wine as well. He used to make his own wine. I don't know if he trod the grapes himself. That's what I always imagined. Um, but it was very, very, <laughs> very cheap rosé. And we would get given that at Christmas. And then you'd get the number 73 home. you get a, a comp ticket to see the, the very play. No, no, no. We just, <laughs> but we had this staple line. We always said, it's a great feel-good show. Because people would come in and say, shall I see this? You know, they'd be choosing between that and Phantom of the Opera. And we just, it's, a feel good, it's a great feel-good show. There are some feel-bad shows. Though. I think there are. <laughs> yeah, quite, yeah, yeah. A of, quite a few in Shaftesbury Avenue. <laughs> so what is it? I want to know a full total of what you've had. So you've had a, you're, you're drinking a kind of... This is, by the way, have we started recording? We have. Yeah. Fraser Lurie on... Uh, living, what a great uh, collection of uh, <laughs> colossi from the entertainment <laughs> industry. We have the great Fraser Lurie on my left <laughs> and the great Kate Mossman on my right. It's a word podcast. And uh, Mosser. Uh, as I call it, although that is in fact short for her real name, which is Mossesy. Mossesy. Longer than the real name. I love nicknames actually longer than the real yeah. name. Mossesy. <laughs> so Mossesy is actually short for Mossesy. But anyway, so you, um, you're on a Red Bull now. What else? Well, I was just had... thinking, you know, the Fraser Lurie, the famous uh, statement about my body is a sewer. <laughs> Rather than a temple. So you're I've had. Um, abiding by the laws of Lurie. Yeah, I've had Lucas Aid, coffee, iron bull. Iron bull? Iron bull. <laughs> 
Iron Brew. Iron Brew. Made from Gunther's. And then, yeah, and a, a sort of a sandwich that had a beg, uh, beg, bacon. 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 <laughs> bread. God, you really are. Really excellent. So what, bacon and egg and sausage. cheese as well. There was no cheese in it. There was, there was ketchup. Are you hungover? So, I, mean, uh, just... I'm just tired. I, oh, I don't okay. think I'm hungover. But you've taken a huge number of stimulants. Yeah, now, now there's Red Bull. Uh, donuts were always my uh, donuts. choice of hangover. Jam yeah. Oh, God, yeah. jam. Yeah. All those little... Just stuffing sugar into my system seemed to do it. <laughs> or oh, those croissants that they sell that have what is called confectioner's custard, that kind of yeah. yellowy stuff. Oh, my God. And, and the pastry is 50% butter on those things anyway. So, so really win, already... meat win. Yep. Well, look, if you're sufficiently accelerated, then I'm going to bore you with what I was going to tell you about before, but I haven't told you, because I'm going to tell you now, on the podcast, about what I thought was a highly entertaining evening on Friday, which was Desert Island Disc. Fraser, as you know, Desert Island Disc is 70 years old. Yes, it is. It was invented in 1942, January, by Roy Plumley. Who was the first person on? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. It was some very... It was actually in the Second World Vera War. Vera Lynn. It was no one... No, no, she was busy out entertaining the troops. <laughs> Plumley, however, managed to get launch his programme during the Second World War at the point where he was the script editor of everything that went out. And therefore, I think he had probably quite a, in quite a good position to, to get his new idea on the radio. <laughs> it's a wasteland. <laughs> but anyway, no, it's 70 years old. They have this thing on... Um, on Radio 2 on Friday night, uh, which I think is part of the series called uh, Friday Night is Music Night, and they do this thing where they get a live orchestra or whatever. And this was... I mean, I had absolutely no idea what we were going to, really, apart from the fact that I was going to write a big piece about Desert Island Disc, and I thought it would just be an interesting bit of colour. So we go, the, <laughs> we go to the Mermaid Theatre, right? And then within two minutes of my being there, I discover that we are in a circle of people having a conversation. And the circle of people involves Joe Brand, Nicholas Parsons, uh, Celia Imry, Sheila, Sheila Hancock and Michael Evers. Fantasy lineup. It, it's absolutely amazing. Stella Street. It's it? it Stella Street. It's, 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 absolutely. And just to our right is Julian Lloyd Webber having a drink with Ronnie Corbett and Maureen Lipman. And I thought, this is brilliant. These are, of course, castaways yeah. who've been on the programme. And I thought that was pretty impressive, really. And they had this, they had the BBC Concert Orchestra and then various people went on. And Ronnie Corbett, Ron, how tiny is Ronnie Corbett? Have you ever seen him? <laughs> is he... Under five foot. He is, he is, he is probably. Yeah, yeah. He is absolutely four foot eight minute. or something. Amazing. And he makes up for this by having oversized spectacles and wearing kind of very loud kind of blue velvet jackets. <laughs> you know, and sort of. Doesn't he have an shoes. extremely tall wife as well? She's about yes, two I think foot he does. Tall. I didn't see the, the wife. Actually. And then someone who went to his house and claimed that uh, Ronnie Corbett, as you walk into the house, has an enormous portrait of Ronnie Corbett. On Larger than life size. To, to make up for the, the size of the real version, so tiny. <laughs> That, but then when, you, when the real version hoves it you <laughs> with a martini and makes you welcome as mine host, you'd be massively disappointed, Absolutely. wouldn't you? You'd think the whole thing was an optical illusion. Yeah. How funny. What no. were Ronnie Corbett's choices? Did they do any Well, of no, what they did was the programme was, they had the BBC Concert Orchestra, and it was just absolutely... I couldn't get over how enthralling it was. I really liked Desert Island. Mm. I think it's fascinating. And um, I, I kind of... I've listened to it for years, you know, and... Uh, it, so they had all these kind of castaways, and they had uh, Kirsty Young comparing. And she would interview people uh, about... I mean, some bits were pretty tedious. Yeah, sort of Anne Widdicombe comes on yeah. and talks about how she chose hippos. But that's very good. It's good, good radio. Yeah, yeah, then yeah. They play hippo noises. The comedy term. Uh, exactly. And, uh, you know, various people... Paul Gambaccini came on talking about what he chose. Uh, here's a question, right? Who's been on it the most? You'll never know. You, you may not have even heard of him, actually. Old showbiz star from the 40s and 50s. You won't have heard of him, actually. You will. Who? Four times. Arthur Askey. No. Yes. 
Is he still alive? Because, no, no, no. no. It's, that's Where's My Wasford, isn't it? Yeah, that's what it's <laughs> yeah. based on. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. Yeah, he's been on four times. It's funny because there's a lot of people who've never been on who you think might. I mean, George Harrison and Ringo Starr never went on. Mm. Never went on. Why on earth yeah. not? Astonishing. My favourite ever um, Desert Island disc quote was George Clooney chose William Shatner's um, spoken word, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. And his reason was, he said, I hate this record so much that if I played it on the island, it would force me to chop off my own leg, hollow it out and use it as a canoe to escape. Brilliant! <laughs> so that's such a novel way of looking at it. Just give yourself something you hate and then you want to leave. You know? That's so Flagging the ships down desperately. Oh, no, because there's, you know, there are really strict rules about that. But Roy Plummer, he's fascinating because he did, I mean, he was 71, I think, when he died. He did something like 1,700 editions of this programme. And, of course, he took it terribly seriously, you know, which is great. And he mm. was really, really good at it. I, I don't think, actually, Parkinson or Sue Lawley were as good. Uh, I think... Was he more crying, was good. He was kind of prying, but he also very old-fashioned. What he used to do is take people out for dinner first, and he'd have a couple of bottles of Blue Nut. <laughs> and then I think they'd go and record the programme directly afterwards. And I think that was quite Excellent. a good idea. But he was also very, very strict about the rules, because, you know, the luxury <laughs> item thing. Actually, we talk about the website, which is amazing. The website's fantastic. Oh, yeah. my God, this website. They've done this website now. I mean, this is also extraordinary, because the programme was owned, the copyright to the programme was owned by Roy Promley's estate. And therefore hasn't been put up as a kind of uh, iPlayer uh, entertainment by the BBC mm. until very recently. It was only that was only resolved legally in about 1985, and I think it's only. Uh, it's very, just the last few months. Isn't uh, it? No, actually, sorry, only 2005, and it's only in the last few months yeah. they put them up. So they've got 500. So the they've got all. The, they've got the first one as well. They haven't. I don't think got the first one, but they've got 500. They're adding them all the time. Yeah. So the brilliant thing is that you can look at this website, and which is the whole point of the program really is to feel a connection with people, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you think, well, I don't like Anne Widdicombe or whatever, but then she likes Chopin, she likes uh, Morrissey or whatever it is she likes. You think, well, I have got a vague connection. And they say you can go to the website and you can connect people via their, you know, luxury items. Yeah. Which is really amazing. You can type Who was it who chose Marmite? Somebody famously. Oh, God, one. I don't know. Well, we ought to, we ought to look it up. But That's interesting. I looked at paper. my favourite song. Toilet paper. To see, uh, yeah. to see who'd um, also chosen it, which is Glenn Campbell's Wichita Lineman. And the only person who's ever chosen it. Annie Lennox. Annie Lennox. Yes. Yeah. And didn't that inspire her to sing that song or something like that? I don't she know. It filled me with horror, quite frankly. Isn't it weird to think that people... Did that put you off? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I love the song. I just, no, just, she was very good I just that. disappointed that it wasn't somebody I like who also liked it. <laughs> no, you, I, I know exactly what you mean, because they're kind of on your patch, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. This is your little world. You didn't invite Annie Lennox to come here. Because the idea then is that you and Annie Lennox are sitting in a room listening to this great record, yeah. and, you know, and supposedly have something to say about it. Isn't it weird to think that the people who were on it in the 40s would have been choosing things like Elgar and they would have been much more contemporary than they are now? So you get your token classic thrown in. But back in the 40s, it would have been that or Swing or something. And that's there would have been the classics still dominate. And just because the, the great thing about the website is there's a database of statistics, it's fantastic. And just um, looking up some stuff this morning, the Beatles have been chosen 249 times, mm. the Rolling Stones only 53. Really? We're going with yeah. the uh, big composers, uh, Beethoven, 718, Mozart, 797. Yeah, so be the, original. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Not Mozart. Allow, Roger Waters was on this morning. What did he Roger say? Roger Waters. He's really interesting. He, he, his first memory was when he was 18 months old. They worked this out. It was VJ Day. And he was describing it to his mother. He said, we were in some front room. There was a brown sofa. I was looking out um, of the window and I could see people in the street. And they worked out that was VJ Day. That's You're not brilliant. supposed to remember anything until you're about four years old. 
How extraordinary. Well, there, might have photograph, there might have been a photograph. There might have been a Often you could imagine yourself back into photographs that were taken. Well, I don't, I don't know. I think he definitely saw people milling about and he remembered the activity in the street and so they worked out from that. The other thing that he said that was interesting is he'd been brought up by, obviously, so many women around him. Because his yes, father that was, was interesting. Yeah, yeah, he said that... What, what age was it he first realised that men were allowed to have power? Yeah, he was quite, uh, quite old. Yeah. Oh, that's a fascinating And he just thought that the, the, the women in your life were the ones who controlled everything. And so he said... Then he sort of started leading into... So I got myself into some disastrous relationships and then they put a record on. Oh, did they? <laughs> yeah, it's like, time for some music. Time for some music. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. Time for Neil Young. Yes, yes. I always thought that Adolf Hitler was a marvellous fashion icon. Time for a record. <laughs> but also, yeah. um, she said something like, uh, do you think you're less prolific now because you're happier or something? And he said straight away, he said, there you go, Kirsty, with your delving. Yeah. <laughs> you're delving. It was almost the first thing he said, wasn't it? It was. It was like, calm down. Oh, that's very interesting. What, what, what music did you choose? I, mean, I only heard... Well, people um, do. His first yeah. song he chose John was Neil Young. Hale Helpless. chose a Velvet Underground song. Surely that's wrong. Yeah, no, uh, Brian May chose We Will Rock You. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> shocking. <laughs> Defend probably... Brian May if you can in this instance. He probably thinks that it's such a grand song, it's out of his hands now and it's just in the ether, so it's not even me that wrote it. Yeah, but I also think that if you're choosing the records that have the greatest impact on your life and you're a rock star, then one of your own makes complete sense. Maybe. But it then, does, but you could argue again that there the, the ought to be laws about that because yeah. there's strict laws about other it's things. It's like don't vote for yourself, you know. You don't vote for yourself because that you always normally have this thing where, where it's so interesting that the luxury item and the raw, he got himself to all sorts of tangles because, you know, I just imagine him as being quite kind of, he was quite sort of. Quite sort of well educated. I imagine he probably mm. wore a blazer when he, you know. And there's a bit where he has uh, Bridget Bardo on, which I don't think they put this one up, and they asked her what she'd like to take the out, and she says, happiness. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious innuendo, because he actually doesn't quite understand her accent, thinks she's talking about a, a sexual organ, but in fact, she just wants happiness. You know, so <laughs> where is her? That took a while. No, 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 brilliant. Happiness. She goes, happiness, in fact, you know. So that's quite good. Whereas and the artist uh, Cornelia Parker chose a solar powered vibrator. <laughs> And uh, publisher Felix Dennis, a very long stainless steel shaft to encourage pole dancing mermaids. Yeah, that's oh, that's so Felix. Oh, that's brilliant. But there's these rules because somebody once chose uh, a grand piano. I can't remember who it was, and they weren't allowed to have it because the definition of a luxury item is it has to be something of no practical use but will bring you. Uh, pleasure in times of adversity. Oh, so food doesn't count. So, well, it's, I think you know the rules have been bent. No, this is bent. why it was great. You know, famously, you know, John Cleese chose as his luxury item Michael Palin. <laughs> Which is slightly insulting to Michael Payne. The idea he's got no practical use. He couldn't sort of, you know, climb yeah, a tree yeah, yeah. and get a coconut. Thing. But obviously he would just sit he could there just stand his beer and raise the sum of human happiness and just be Michael Payne. <laughs> was he allowed that? Water? But this guy was not allowed to take... I can't remember who he was. was not allowed to take a grand piano because uh, Plomley uh, argued that you could take the strings out, break the legs off, oh, uh, take oh, a, and you could use it as a canoe. Oh, no. Yeah, that's, so that's where Clooney was getting it from. Yeah, maybe that was it, which is absolutely <laughs> ludicrous. So Roger Waters what was Roger chose, Waters? He, chose, what was he chose a grand piano, so obviously the, the rules have been Rules have changed. Have no, there was a controversy recently in the Daily Mail. Um, <laughs> I love the idea of the Daily Mail. <laughs> people getting really head up about it. Writing and complaining about Kirsty Young, because they were allowed, she was allowing people to... Um, what was it? David Walliams had a gun. Yeah, Emma Thompson cook, took a cooking pot, that's right. Uh, and they were saying, you know, you know, what was going on? Why, why are you allowed to take? Surely, a uh, yeah. pot is is available. The gun was presumably to shoot himself as well, which oh, gets well, him maybe, out of the oh, whole problem, been, doesn't it? Well, that's quite common as well. Cyanide has been selected by four different people, but that should be one of the first rules that you can't. Who do you know? Who? Can't top uh, Lim Barber, Peter Jones, Peter Nicholson, Stephen Fry. 
Stephen Fry. So Stephen Fry. Fry. <laughs> oh my God, that's so Stephen Fry. And uh, Nigella Lawson, liquid tamazepam. So she knows what she's talking about. That's wow, good. what a pro. Yeah. Okay. So, yes, <laughs> she's been to a tamazepam party. She looks like with Sean Ryder. See, I was thinking that I would take... That's so, that's so pro. That's not like some drugs. No, exactly. It's like, not just tamazepam either. It's liquid tamazepam. It's going to mainline it. It's going to mainline it. Just sit under a coconut tree just and get absolutely a, Take hammered. a drip at a... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that's brilliant. No, there was one... Simon Cowell wanted a mirror. And there was controversy about that because uh, they thought it might have some, um, you know, uh, practical use. Uh, Oliver Reed, I think, wanted to blow up rubber woman. It's <laughs> nice, isn't it? <laughs> Dame Edna Everidge wanted to take Madge Allsop. See, you blow up rubber woman. But she was told Madge Allsop, uh, she couldn't take it because she was, uh, what you had to take was an inanimate object. And she said she was an inanimate <laughs> object, which is a very good answer, I think. Madge Allsop would be on another island. She'd be on another island, she would be. A blow up rubber, rubber woman is basically a lilo, isn't it? So there's he's cheating there because he can get away. He can, he can. Off. Oh, he can yeah. row the woman. Yeah. He could row the woman. He can just lie on top of it and sort of flail That's around with brilliant. his arms. What was our man doing? Oh, he's a virtual sherry trifle. That's good, isn't it? I don't understand what he means. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's funny, though, isn't it? Because he could have just been, oh, Armando, he hasn't just gone for a sherry trifle. He's gone for a virtual one. Because then it never goes. At, yeah. like maybe you just look at a it. Mirage. it wouldn't, maybe it wouldn't decay. That'd be good. Peter Maxwell Davis, I remember, went for a <clears throat> copper plate engraving. of this. You know when people talk about the, how this allows you to be pretentious, yeah. right? Okay, follow this. Go on. Peter Maxwell Davis, luxury, a copper plate engraving of Dura's The Passion. <gasps> yeah, and you just think, mate, do you know what I mean? That's ridiculous. Well, you must have an enormous lapel badge saying wanker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no disrespect to Dura's The Passion, which, of course, is a great work of art, mate. Why copper plate? But plates the idea that you're going to make a big point of that on the programme is just ridiculous. And the music thing's really interesting. Because if you look at that program, you can see exactly what you were saying that the, the you know the classics uh, 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 start to get upgraded as, mm. as the program or upgraded. I mean, the chronology moves forward, and so you get age groups picking a certain thing. If you would Google into this thing, David Bowie, you would find, as I did this morning, you'd find Nick Clegg, Bill Bailey, Tracy Emin, uh, Jeremy Clarkson, Anthony Gormley. Hanif Karishi and Mario Testino. Mm. So that's all mm. people pretty much exactly the same age. Yeah, it's the same bracket, isn't it? Yeah. It is, you can but see I what. think other things go in, uh, are favoured in different time periods as well. If you look at soap, for instance, uh, it's been selected by 23 different people, but nobody between Ken Dodd in 1990 and UA Fanthorpe in 2004 chose soap. Soap is out of fashion. Yeah. Hygiene in general. Yeah. Yeah, they're from Concerns an age where it would have been a luxury at some point, so they, they appreciate their soap, don't yeah. they? They're, Anybody who was around in the war and stuff. No, that's, that's brilliant. Weird. More stats from, from, from <laughs> Fraser later on. Nick Cave is another one. So if you look at Nick Cave, Sam Taylor Wood, uh, David Williams, Rachel White Reed, Hugh Fernley Whittingstall. But again, that whole thing about. I, I, I thought, I was trying to think of the corniest, corniest choice. I thought Moondance by Van Morrison. <laughs> and you find that George Clooney and Jennifer Saunders. Really? Both chose it, yeah. In fact, I thought I there were four, actually, four people. What else did Waters choose today? I can't remember. There was some weird <laughs> I just film a few days music, ago. wasn't it? Oh, I see, of course. Yeah, and no, I always think it's on this morning, and yeah. it's not as a repeat. So. Luxury item, go on then. Golf clubs. Is that yours? Yeah. Oh, right, OK. Uh, because mainly no ball, because, though. Uh, no, and balls. There's a limited <laughs> supply of balls. That would, that's part of the thing. But uh, I think on, on an island you could spend your time building a golf course and, uh, and then becoming very good at golf, and after ten years on the island practising golf Who would you play day, with? By myself. <laughs> but, uh, you come off the, after your rescue for the island, after years, so I'd be 52, 53, I can go down and living on the seniors tour. 
Well, you would, and you'd be on the chat show circuit. Exactly. Fairly regularly, yeah. I think. Plenty the man of who built his well. own golf course on yeah. a remote island. And uh, golf clubs put me in the, the company, obviously, of uh, Jimmy Tarbuck and Ronnie Corbett. They've also chosen <laughs> a set of clubs. But mm. Fanny Craddock was one. <laughs> no and this, I think, is incredible. Sarah Vaughan, the jazz singer, chose a set of golf clubs. Really? Yeah. How so there you absolutely go. bizarre. But anyway, where were we? So Luxury that items. was your luxury Mosses, what about you? Mine was beef jerky. Oh, so I had some beef jerky. food. Are I know. Food? See, I thought you were allowed food because... You probably are. No, go on. Well, someone, someone had Marmite, and then I realised that's not really food, Jerry Springer had a hamburger machine, so I think it's a lot. Oh, that's brilliant. But oh, no well. meat to put in it. Beef I don't know. Just jerky. things from the island. Um, yeah. Also, it would last a long time. That's the thing, because last night I had some that was from South Africa, and it was so chewy that I almost felt like just pushing it up inside my mouth, like tobacco, and just you know, chewing it there all night. Just spit, spitting of occasionally. Beef jerky, that's really... It would last about, you know, it would last a year. But I think on an island, you, surely the trick is to go and uh, make your own jerky. Make your own jerky, that's true. And then just, yeah, just skin rabbits, dry them out in the sun, then exactly. you've got the same thing. What is it they call it? Chewy nosebleed? Yes. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> is that, you're making it sound so attractive. That's, that's, that's what you said. Biltong. <laughs> it's a chewy nosebleed. How lovely is it? It would last a year. Yeah. Christ. Well, I, I think I would probably go for... This is actually really an idiotic thing, but I think what I'd have is a not-life-size effigy of Van Morrison. <laughs> May we ask why? Yeah, because if you're in a situation of presumably abject misery, right? Loneliness, <laughs> sadness, <laughs> and isolation. You see what I mean? You're thinking, what could cheer you up? I think what could cheer you up is someone who is going to be permanently more miserable and pissed off than you are, right? I'm talking about Van. Little tight, cheeky little statue of Van. Right? Take it out of a matchbox or something, do it in your cave, and have a little look at it, and think, no matter how fed up and cross and... Never gonna Miserable like and friendless. Does I it am. play music Bad. or is it just a silent? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> even better. Yeah, then you put it back in his box. You feel cheerful with a gob iron hanging around. With his a gob iron, that no one can play. Think about the gob iron. Uh, that could be hollowed out and used as a canoe. Laughing out loud. Be good, wouldn't it? Be very good. The other thing I saw at this the show was Courtney Pine. The music was so bizarre. Matt Lucas came on at one point. I really like Matt Lucas, and I love the fact that he's he's prepared to have a go. He comes on, and does. A Broadway tune, a real show tune called The Lullaby of Broadway, which is an old, uh, you know, 42nd Street um, hoofer with the BBC Concert Orchestra. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's a ludicrous song from yeah. the time about staying up all night listening to the showgirls. What, what was he wearing? Back. Was he in He was wearing uh, nothing particularly fantastic. I think he had a bit of a kind of, a bit of a blazer on. Yeah. I can't remember, but he was really, really funny. And it's also, it's a live, it's a live broadcast. So, and it, not only is it live audience as well, when, so the front row is all, as I say, Tarby and Roddy Corbett and all that, but there's a massive audience listening live on radio too. And he's just seeing how far he can take it. And Kirsty Young, who I thought was terrific, actually, really good improvisations too. She's just very good at holding it together. Can't be easy. And uh, and she says something like, uh, I don't know why I pulled that face, because you at home listening on the radio can't see what face I pulled. <laughs> and she was doing a kind of <clears throat> shock horror thing, you know. And um, <laughs> Matt Lucas says, <laughs> he says, so yeah, it's, um, yes, it's, uh, it's, it's not quite what you think at home, uh, viewers. For a start, our conductor is naked. And there's a gasp of Horace Conner. Can you imagine this audience? Is there a sign being held up saying gasp? I'm I'm loving the way he's holding his baton. (laughs) (laughs) 
Because <laughs> the young goes, uh, goes uh, yes, uh, this is lowering the tone somewhat, so moving swiftly <laughs> onwards. You know, it was really, really funny. So he was singing? But he sang, and uh, and really quite well, actually. You know, because it's very desirous. You've got Maureen Lippman doing all mm. the uh, Joyce Grenville routines, and uh, Ronnie Corbett does some old um, show tune as well, the cabaret tune. And uh, so it's him coming on and, uh, you know, come along and listen to the Lullaby of Broadway with this mm. massive great band band. And he thought, this is obviously... It's fabulously camp. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. He wanted yeah. this all his life, you yeah. know. And uh, was, one of the funniest moments, the guy, a guy sitting next to me, he nudges me when Courtney Pines back comes and he says, you don't often go to a show like this. I said, no, you don't. In what way? He said, well, a show that goes directly from Anne Whittacombe to Courtney Pine. <laughs> so Courtney Pine comes on. It's so brilliant. You've got this huge orchestra and they're all playing their sheet music and... They've just done cabaret and they've just done, you know, they've just done Elgar's cello concerto with Julian Lloyd Webber, you know. Oh, and really? then on comes Courtney Pinesman, who've set up a jazz uh, uh, unit at the front. And they are reading sheet music. So they're the most amazing band. Absolutely. Can I remember the name of the piano player? She's brilliant. Uh, Zoe Rahman, that's mm. right. Brilliant piano player. Waist length hair. Comes on, kicks off her silver shoes, plays this grand piano barefoot. Yeah. Just the most rocking what, tune. What piece was it? Was it it like was something in... by Anita Baker. I can't remember the name of it now. Oh. And it was just outrageous. And they played for about five minutes, the most supercharged thing. And the, 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 even cooler, the girl drummer, the string bass player, and uh, Raman are reading sheet music. Yeah. They're actually reading, the drummer's reading sheet music. She plays this impossible music, you know. And the orchestra are just putting down their instruments and thinking, oh, my God. You know, because suddenly that freedom of improvised music is good. Yeah. You know, taking over. And, and Courtney Pine is playing a, a soprano sax, does this incredible solo where he does... Do you know about circular breathing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've not seen this very often. And explain you usually so, get you know, it with really oboes. Don't you? I don't know how it works. I think you breathe through your nose, yeah, through right. your mouth. Yeah, expel so through your got mouth. To, yeah, yeah, you've mm. got to get that kind of um, uh, rhythm so you can keep the notes smooth and you never take your lips off the reed, basically. Yeah, that's it's exactly very hard. it. It's incredible. I've only seen a few people do it, and it, it's just astonishing. And you can see the doing because their cheeks suddenly kind of puff out. Yeah. And you then have to, while you inhale through your nose, you have to expel air through the muscles of your cheeks, through the instrument, while you're inhaling, right, to yeah. fill your lungs yeah. up again, to keep the permanent note going. Can't remember who invented this, Charlie Parker or John, Charlie Parker, I think, or John Coltrane, one of the two. Because people start to listen to their records and think, wait a minute, yeah, they have this, this note's been playing now for over 90 seconds, so that can't be possible. I wonder how you learn to do it as so well. You must go blue in the face when you're actually practising. Unbelievably complicated. And so he just plays the solo, which is just absolutely to the very limits of this instrument, you know, on a single single breath, basically. Mm. Fantastic. Were they cut down to the time they had to... So they weren't improvising as in, you know, they could go on for oh, 15 well, it's, minutes. It's but... brilliant because, um, you know, Zoe Rahman, I sort of after and she, I said, uh, you know, I think they'd been added to the bill quite later on. They were just so cool as you expect jazz musicians to be. They're playing this impossible thing. And it's live. And it's on the radio. You know, it's all these people. Yeah. And they've only run through it once, very early in the morning, decided they're going to play that song. And then they get a call to Courtney Pye and say, how long's your song? And he says, how long do you want it to be? <laughs> of course, you know, the, rest of, the rest of the programme are kind of like, yeah, well, you know, I mean, Cabaret, you know, lasts three minutes, 25 seconds. He says, I can make it look. <laughs> they were thinking, this is the perfect guess. Longer, shorter, yeah. So he just true. kept going, basically, till the... Till because the, uh, what you'd assume, you'd have to give them acres of time because they're going to go off on one. But actually, they can make it much shorter than the average song, can't they, if they want to? Absolutely. I, I was so thrilled. It just made me think that, that I, yeah, when I was a kid, I used to, um, 
you know, really love groups like Incredible, uh, not Incredible String Bands, I don't know, Improvisation at all. <laughs> 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 it came naturally <laughs> to the Grateful Dead. Maybe they were. Grateful Dead, Ormond Brothers, Pink Floor, you know, those yeah. groups where, where you'd, you'd see a piece of music start and you wouldn't know how it's going to end. Yeah. Weren't you in an improvised band, Fraser? I was, yes. I, I was uh, not an official member, but I played live with them a couple of times. It was a band called Phantom Engineer, <laughs> who uh, they, recorded, they recorded an album which I could be heard playing golf. I hit seven irons. But back to golf. Your golf is the equivalent of my incredible string band. Yeah. It's default. And am I right in thinking this is the record we had on the office this morning? Yeah, the one you complained about. I complained about it. And then it went quiet for a very long time. And then there was this sound that was crossed between like a dying whale and a massive great line turning over in the ocean. I found a review this morning, which comes from a fan thing. his record? Yeah. It was your band? Were you playing golf on it? It was someone else's band. I just kind of guessed it on it and I played live with them live a couple of times. That's the record we were hearing this morning. Yeah. Oh, God. What? Yeah, that was improvised yeah. jazz. It says, uh, the music is a combination of organic, spacious improvisation and noise, of studio manipulation, drone tone and flange, <laughs> and melodious <laughs> strings... Three more from <laughs> them. Ah, drone it tone gets and flange. Like Dave D. Dozy, It gets better. Yeah. A free jazz expressionism, and here's my favourite bit, and avant disregard. Oh, avant that's brilliant. Avant disregard. Makes it sense got a clue. Not one to put on it, little... I'll start that again. <laughs> I was just improvising. Have two more Red Bull with a season. Not one to put on at your little sister's 16th birthday party. <laughs> that is absolutely And then there was a live review, which is actually from The Wire, which says, uh, the long-haired front man, that was me when I had long hair, oh. rattles chains in a walk. <laughs> no, yeah. you've got review In The Wire. And then the reviewer goes on to say, and I agree with this 100%, after the initial thrill of excitement, it becomes swiftly apparent he hasn't got a clue what he's doing. <laughs> And he was absolutely right. I was making it up as I went. Very, so this very is the good. band that you were doing golf in and you were also rattling chains? Yes, yeah, so on the album I, I hit a seven iron t- into a sheet of corrugated iron and uh, live I rattled chains in a wok. And why are they referring to you as the frontman then? Because I sat at the front of the stage. Oh, OK, literally. Everyone else <laughs> well, was it's very hard. Me. If someone's rattling chains, I would have thought he's going to upstage whatever else is going on. I would say that was a frontman. You can't do that absolutely. in a shy and retiring manner at the back line, can you? That's incredible. <laughs> Fraser, this rattling change, sorry, just to go on a minute, was this before or after uh, The Great Howard Jones? Uh, well after. OK, so were you influenced by the... Not uh, at all, the, no. the I, had, I had two gauges of chain. OK. Which <laughs> I'd, which Bicycle I'd, chain. I would flip between. Because Jones, of course, in fact, had uh, Jed, didn't he? Yes, he did. Uh, uh, escaping from his mental There may chains. have been an unconscious influence, but certainly okay. not. How long was your hair at that point? Waist length? To my waist, yeah. <sighs> wow. I've Imagine seen pictures that. of Fraser with uh, ginger curls. He looks like a... Might have been from the court of Charles II, actually, <laughs> if you'd been wearing a... Or that uh, lady from T'Pau. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Carol Decker. How awful. <laughs> what's happened to improv? We're going to have some questions tomorrow, aren't we? But what, just firstly, what's happened from, to, to improv? Is, I mean, improv, spontaneous music. I don't know. Do you think... I mean, when I went to see MGMT, I thought... I felt the same feeling. Mm. That, you know... Um, I, I bet they didn't play this like, like that last night. Well, that's that's interesting because sometimes I think the opposite. Sometimes I think, how do we know if we're not there every night? Yeah, maybe yeah, it's yeah. not improv at all. I remember seeing uh, whenever whenever I think of the best um, instrumental solo I've ever seen, uh, and I don't. I think he does do it every night. But you know, John Heisman, oh, Heisman the great really? drummer of and, Coliseum, and he did this thing. It was like his his top. Half. I love I love the way that you're the age you are and you love John Heisman. I know. Coliseum. And this was that's like I, so you know how sweet. basically I, the last time I was on the podcast, I was talking about having seen Steve Howe at the Norwich Arts Centre. I have to say, yeah, the same in year, touch. Yeah. on the pulse. That's same, our Kate Mossman. Same year, age fourteen, saw um, Barbara, Barbara Thompson's paraphernalia at the same venue. 
venue, which is this brilliant venue in Norwich. It's a converted church. They've got 45 churches in Norwich. They don't know what to do yeah, with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Um, and Heisman, obviously married to Barbara Thompson, he's on drums, she's on saxophone, I can't remember who else was there. Everyone left the stage. And he did this solo, he had two bass drums, and it was as though his top half and his bottom half were cut off from one another because he started up this thing, one foot, like, like that, boom, 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 completely regular rhythm. And then with his arms, he went into this kind of crazy snare solo that kept changing time and got faster and faster and faster, but the feet remained exactly the same pace. So it was just, it was brilliant, an amazing piece of coordination. But I was speaking to somebody yesterday about him, because I think he's got some book coming out, and they said, no, he's still doing that now. So basically, it looks improvised, but it What a great man. But why not, you know? Who invented the solo? I don't know. Louis Armstrong. Really? Oh, yeah, what? I'm pretty sure. Louis Wouldn't Armstrong. it be more fair to say they invented the extended improvised solo? No, I don't think so. I think I think he invented the solo because up until then, if this isn't too boring, I love stuff like this. <laughs> it, it, up until then, I think everything was off sheet music. So you would write a piece that was all charts, and it's been you know, and then you go around eight <laughs> times or whatever. But what you would Making then do? So appealing. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Key, a real toe tapper there, listeners. And uh, more to come. Uh, I'm here all week. And so no, and then they would play the. They'd go around eight bars, and then they would do just be just the reeds or whatever, or just be the brass or whatever. And then he invented the idea, and also apparently he never he couldn't play the same thing the same way twice. He just simply mm. was just programmed not to do it. And when would this have been? In God, the 30s? I don't know, probably, late, late 30s, probably. So he invented the idea that you would take a break in that section, the 8 or 16 bars or whatever, and an instrument, starting with him, the trumpet, mm. would go out and Do whatever the hell they liked. Do whatever the hell they liked. So you could argue when, um, you know, when people claim they don't like... Mm. Long and extended guitar solos, they could blame Louis Armstrong. And also, I bet a lot of it started when you know how, say, um, the Wrecking Crew, you'd get a load of musicians who were great at sheet music, and then you get the old one like, um, what's his name? Lovely, uh, did the thing with Elton John recently. Leon Russell. Ah, yeah, Leon Russell. Uh, I was trying to do an impression of his voice to try and remember who it was. <laughs> yeah, right. um, I've got to do an impression of Leon ah, Russell. <laughs> but people brilliant. like him can't read music and suddenly found themselves in these kind of stellar positions playing yeah. on Frank Sinatra records and stuff. And um, they would just literally, because they were so good and they'd proven themselves to be brilliant, people would assume they did read music and they'd put all this sheet music down in front of them. And there'd be this awful moment when Leon Russell would have to go up and say, I can't, don't, don't know what this is, I don't understand notes. And so they started to write the parts for those musicians by just saying Leon over the top of the staves, which meant do a solo. Or I know Glenn Campbell did it as well. I mean, he had to admit he couldn't read guitar music, but he could do yeah, the solo. Yeah, yeah. So they just kind of worked backwards and said, well, he's here anyway, he can do it. Let's just write his name over the top. And everyone else would have their parts written out. So it's quite... It's quite interesting. Maybe that's where some of it came from as well. You know, yeah, you probably. Read. I love your references to Glenn, Glenn Campbell. I think we should have a special bit on the podcast every week, actually, where, which is kind of, um, it's called something like Kate Mossman's Old Folks Home, where she talks <laughs> about people like Leon Russell. The Twilight, the Twilight Rest Home. <laughs> Twilight, maximum security Twilight Rest Home for, for, for old jazzers. <laughs> <laughs> it's <just> so funny. <laughs> the, the new one is Bob Seger. I was been going on to Fraser. Yeah, no, about, why have you discovered Bob Seger? I just discovered, well, I was watching that film MASH, uh, not MASH, sorry, Mask from the 80s. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, about the guy with the sort of crazy disease. It's a bit late for you, the 80s. No, 1986, it was. Okay. I, remember, I remember watching it when I was a child. Um, and it has this great Bob Seger song at the end called Roll Me 
away, which is all about getting on your motorbike and just like taking off down the westbound road and stuff. Extremely romantic, very, very simple ideas. And it was just beautiful. So I kind of went down this, this channel of discovery to try and find out about Bob Seger. And I, I'm still finding out. I'm just at that early stage. It's like a relationship. It's like you've only met twice. And you're so like, sweet. okay, I've, you know, I've heard two or three songs that I really like. And I've decided as well. You've got loads in common. Yeah, I know. It's like, like the same films. But we were looking him up and he has both read to the, to the White House. The White House. <laughs> to the White House. By to the White House. By Bob Seger. Yeah. And he hasn't been in uh, the UK since 1980, so an, another massive boat that I've missed <laughs> to add to the, all the other boats that have gone past. Oh, He's like 66 that, that, now. Yeah, that Bob Seger's sailing off the horizon. You missed it. It's a <laughs> fairly substantial ocean liner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is very one. substantial now. He's yeah. basically like... Um, an ugly Springsteen, really. And I'm sure it's because he didn't have the looks that Bruce does that he didn't, you know, he's not a, exactly a household name. Everyone knows from, from that Did one Did he have track. the talent? Was he, was he on a, oh, on a par with the great He's great brilliant, man. yeah, and he's one of those people who's been around since, I mean, I think he was he was recording in the early, early 60s. 60s yeah. It's like proper, you know, total transformation. You look at him and he's got the bowl cut, he looks like uh, something out of um, the Dave Clark Five or something yes, like that. And then did. suddenly he's this kind of long head. He looked like Lowell George yeah. at one point. Yeah. He's amazing. I love him. Also, Bob Seger, you know, you got the impression that there was a period when um, you know, Springsteen may have just put it on hold or was trying to make solo albums or do something. Yeah. And all those kind of, kind of those people filled the vacuum, didn't they? The Bob Seger's yeah. and the Blue John Collar Americana. Cougar Melon Camps. Yeah. And, you know, the, 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 probably George Thorogood or something. I don't know. There's, there were certain people who had that big sound. Yeah, extremely hard working as well. Johnny. And those people suddenly had their moment in the sun because Springsteen was sitting in the ranch cooking Yeah, that's and, true. And yeah. A, you know, and also, that, I remember reading that he sort of, when he's on his tour bus, he doesn't talk because he doesn't, doesn't want to wear his voice out. And he's very much like, you know, people have come 200 miles to see me, I'm going to keep my voice intact. And so I love that sort of attitude. God, he sounds so silly. He sounds, I, I really hope you get a date with him. He sounds a top man, a man who doesn't <laughs> talk. And, and looks like an ugly Bruce Springsteen. So enjoy. He looks, looks a bit like David Brent these days. He does. David Brent, yeah. like David Brent. He does. It's a very thick white You're going to have a terrific time with Bob. That's great. The Word Podcast. Two cocoa tins and a piece of string. Now, look, we didn't we, didn't we ask for a few questions? Have we got any questions? Did anybody write in and, and ask any questions about whatever it was going to be? I can't remember. Issue 100. Did, issue 100. Did anybody send any? Yes, I have a few here. Go on. Uh, we'll start with one from uh, The Horse One. Oh, right. Who <clears> says <throat> his favourite word feature ever was the one on cult heroes. Oh, And God. would like to know what your obscure object oh, that was from you who it is. You yes. Yeah. When did you join? Fifty-two? Uh, no, um, 50, 1952. No, no, issue 52. <laughs> I don't think we were numbers. 1952. Back in 52. Perfect. You, you joined at the same time as Glenn Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> Leon Russell, I think, was the receptionist. <laughs> yeah, that was... Um, oh, who were some of the, the cult heroes in that in that feature? I wrote about Viv Stanchel, I think. I can't remember. Was that the feature? Yeah, it was. It was very so. good. It was very good. God, who would you write about now? I don't know. Rocky Erickson? I love Rocky Erickson. Mine would be a band called Volcano Sons. Oh, go on. Who were they? Well, go my favourite uh, bit of music in, in terms of when I was younger, growing up, was kind of uh, the American post-hardcore, pre-grunge stuff. It's all like Husker Du and all those yeah. kind of bands. And there was a band called Volcano Sons who I absolutely worshipped. I thought they were the greatest band ever. And uh, one of their albums so it was literally my favourite album for two years. Did you see them? And I never played here, no. Uh, as far as I know. They may have uh, before I, would, I got involved, but uh, I loved them. Have you ever seen that in a record shop, in a bargain bin or anything? 
Uh, no, I mean, no, I don't think they would, would have sold many copies of that album here, but I, I absolutely adored them, and uh, no, I never listen to them nowadays. But and what's point, happened to them, them now? Are they still going? Well, they, they came from Mission of Burma, who you've probably heard of. And, uh, no. They, they, yes, <laughs> oh, right, yeah. The drummer is now <laughs> back in Mission of Burma. They're the of kind of band who play all tomorrow's parties. And Yeah. Know. What did they look like? Uh, they were basically four kind of uh, vaguely pre-grunge uh, collegiate types. Who, uh, and the thing I really liked about them was that they all sang at the same time, four of them, and they shouted, and they all shouted at the same time. It was, <laughs> it was great. It was like kind of a, like a football crowd had formed a grunge that does, band. That does tie into your, you, your interest in military music and big does, choirs yeah. and all that Ticks kind of thing. It all the boxes. Did they have a chains player? No, chains. no chains, no. They sound really good. I like the other four people shouting yeah. at the same time. It's really exciting. I'm going to have a listen to it. Did it sound sort of choric, or did it sound like a mess? It sounded like a mess. It was very, very <laughs> sloppy. And, uh, but they wrote... Choric, that's a good word. They wrote some lovely songs as well. They had an ear for a tune. <laughs> I should bring some in. Yeah, definitely. Mosses, what about you? Go on, give us a cult, a cult someone you would... If we did that feature again, it was a good feature, actually. Yeah, I, think, I think the Sill thing... I mean, I came to that very, very, very late. Judy Sill? Most people. Yeah, I just think... I still find... I, what intrigues me about her is I don't think she's a particularly nice person, and for some reason that's kind of that's even more appealing because those songs are so beautiful. And then you know, by all accounts, she was completely off the rails and a very difficult customer. Um, so I think that she she'd probably be. be well, it's mine. a very grown up attitude that because a lot of, a lot of time people expect that if you want to meet somebody, you want them to be absolutely yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like the way they present themselves. And that's that's true of most of most people, but I think I remember hearing this ridiculous story about how she'd um she was this kind of tearaway anyway. And once she took a friend and a friend's boyfriend to a Chinese restaurant because she'd heard that the rice there was always off, and she wanted to see them get food poisoning. And they did. And she said, "I'm not having any rice. I'm fine. I'm not hungry." No rice for me. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no rice for me. Just put one out. I have like, How can you? What kind of person does that? You know, that is real. That's really messed up, and that's very interesting. So what in a terms sick, of, sick, sick woman. Horrible woman. But no, in terms of the, the cultiness, I think the the fact that she only did, really did those two records. She maybe the sheer effort of concentrating all her niceness into her lyrics. <laughs> yeah, probably... and into chasing JD Souther around. <laughs> chasing JD Souther, another uh, of the um, pantheon of. Uh, of, of, of Kate Mossman uh, Twilight Rest Home yeah, Twilight Rest Home exactly yeah <laughs> great man God I don't know who else I know Rocky I don't Rocky but see the trouble is I think of people like Prefab Sprout and the Cocteau Twins being cult now but they're probably they were quite big at the time mm. but they made great records you ever heard of the they had chart hits yeah they had chart hits so they don't really count do they see I don't know because people listening would have would be actually seething now yeah cult is so subjective isn't it I know what it is it's true you could say cult is somebody who didn't play Wembley and Reed or something I don't know I don't know where you put them also both those bands have been an influence on plenty of other bands so maybe that excludes them yes it's true and cult is also basically underrated in your own opinion, isn't it? So yeah. it's always that thing as well. You think, and then people wade in and say, "That's not cult." Everyone knew about them. You know, oh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's the whole thing about being wanting to discover things first, isn't it? Yeah. And I, mean, that's why I like Fraser with his with his uh, with his, his song with Annie Lennox is coming really for it. I'll never listen to that again. <laughs> Jesus. Another question for Massive. Uh, yeah, Mark, Mark JF wants to know if one dead rock star could be disinterred or decremated and interviewed, who would you choose and why? God, well, that's very, very, very tricky indeed. Um, because the obvious answer is we'd, we'd love to hear from Jeff Buckley and John Lennon and all those people. I tell you what, I tell you it'd be good. Bob Marley would be very interesting. I, I, I tell you why, because when Bob Marley died, uh, which I think was in about, gosh, I can't remember when I was 81, he was 36 years old, about 81, I'd just left New Musical Express. And I, I was completely fascinated by him, but I never got to understand much about him because he was only ever interviewed 
by... Fawning people. Yes, exactly that. Um, no, in How come you're disrespect so great, to our, the editor of New Music Express at the time, Neil Spencer, but Neil Spencer was the editor. I told him about Neil Spencer, and he just, he just became a kind of like a kind of white raster. Yeah, you know, you go, into, you go into the enemy and say, uh, oh, I can have a quick word with you, Neil. And Neil was sitting there in a massive cloud of uh, ganja smoke, <laughs> popping a gigantic bifter. And he started to talk like Molly. He'd say, Can I do a piece about, you know, Reckless Eric? And he, he would say, Cool Runnings. Well, he wouldn't say Cool Runnings, he'd say, No. <laughs> No, actually. And as you know, Neil famously, as I think Dan, Dan, Danny Baker might have said on the podcast, famously said once he was, he was going out at lunchtime to get somebody to eat, he said, I and I step out for sandwich. You know, <laughs> and he actually did say that. So, so the problem is, if you put, here's my point, if you put an educated white middle class guy <laughs> in the in society, in front of, of, Peter of the Tosh. great, in front of Peter Tosh, <laughs> It's not a guy who says, I and I step out for sandwich. You're not going to get a very rigorous shape. Did he keep his own accent or did he do the Bob accent? <laughs> no, he, probably, he probably did a complete Bob accent. Can you imagine it? You know? And uh, so I, if you look at old, which there weren't very many, because very few people actually interviewed Bob Marley. Mm. If you look at those um, interviews, I don't think you get to understand it because what he's doing is he's putting across his philosophy, he's putting across his religion, and he's putting across this unbelievably exciting and new and thrilling perspective on the world, which we, we you know, people who lived in, in England had no idea, uh, you know, it was completely new. But nobody quite got underneath the bonnet of that. And They're just sitting there with sort of glazed enjoyment on their face. Yeah, yeah and I think it. now Bob Marley would be, however old he'd be now, gosh, I don't know, he'd be in his 60s or something, he would have seen the way reggae developed and he would have seen, he would be able to step outside of that now and talk, probably even more honestly, actually, about, about the... The journey that took them to where they got Do you feel he was the kind of person that, um, at the time, he would have been open to better questions and just didn't get them as well? Could he have have been...? Yeah, I do. Oh, he's fantastically uh, very fast-thinking, very colourful, very funny. But his problem was everybody that sat at his feet and touched the hem of his garment turned on their cassette machine was absolutely as far as I can see virtually in awe of them. Yeah, must be quite a lonely existence for people. Yeah, like and also they didn't get to be interviewed very much by the broadsheets, you know, because they, they were just still a music paper concept. It didn't, I mean, it, they broke enormously commercially, but you, you didn't get Bob Marley on the cover of, I don't remember, on the cover of the Observer or whatever. So you didn't get people putting that different perspective to him. Mm. So that, I think that's, if that isn't too dull a response, it's a good question, isn't it? Yes, it is. Who would you... Well, come on, who would you go? I've got two. Uh, go on. Uh, neither are strictly rock, but Falakuti and Hank Williams. Oh, Hank good, Williams. both very good. I mean, yeah. Falakuti, I think, has probably got more to say than anyone ever. Yeah, simply because he wasn't just a musician; he was, uh, you know, he was a man who'd been to prison over a hundred times because of his protesting against government. His mother was killed by the government. His yeah, yeah. Soldiers raided his house, all that kind of stuff. He mm. made fifty albums. There's a lot to talk about with him. And Hank Williams, because simply because I, I know so little about him, I'd love to hear him talk. That's a brilliant one, mm. Hank Williams. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, I don't know that much about him, but but just terrible, terrible. Was he twenty nine when he died? Yeah. He looked. How old did he look in those pictures? Fifty. Yeah. And you can't believe he's twenty nine. Steve Earle's new book, weirdly, is about the doctor who administers the final injection to Hank Williams. So it's they taking on the life of this doctor who then Fantastic. decamps and goes lives goes to live somewhere else and then carries around the guilt of having been the one who gave him the shot and stuff. So it's a weird concept for book. I think it's that because he time. dies then. You have to, can you remember he dies in, in the, the backseat of the car, yeah. being driven to the gig by. I think 14 year old boy 14 year old boy who can't reach the 
foot pedals. Yeah. Any. It's some, he's not certainly not in a position really to be driving this car. He's 14. And I don't know how he finished up driving. So is the um, suggestion then that he was um, that he was given an injection, a painkiller or something like that, that, that killed him? It, well, he, he, he obviously just... had some terrible uh, liver dysfunction because of the amount he drank. Yeah. And, and also, didn't he take a lot of speed or something? Something horrible, yeah, cheap yeah. thing. That, uh, Maybe it was a massive morphine overdose or something yeah. that he was given. But the idea, I, I don't know if the book's any good, but I like the idea that he's gone into the brain of this doctor. Brilliant. He should have stuck to uh, liquid tamazepam. Yeah. Uh, as advertised by... Um, not advertised, sorry. <laughs> legally, let me correct that. As, uh, or endorsed. Or indeed endorsed or in any way promoted by the great Nigella Lawson. <laughs> More questions. This is I'm enjoying this. Uh, Gangle Sprocket, he would like to yeah. know, uh, who's the worst person you've encountered in the past 100 issues, Mark? Is it Ginger Baker? Oh, God! <laughs> oh, Lord, well, Ginger, oh, Ginger Baker is the worst. It's, 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 I think if people say they, they meet people that, that, that they don't like, it's often their own fault for not liking them. Yeah. I, I came out of that interview with Ginger Baker. It's very sweet of him to mention that. And in fact, it was it was Kate Mossman, in fact, who made me write the article because I came back and said, how do you guys? Really, really badly. <laughs> Really, really, we had a monumental argument. One question I asked him, he um, he answered. Uh, it took him fifteen minutes to answer in the most boring detail. When I started to interrupt, he got really cross with me. <laughs> You've asked me a fucking question. You remember, I've got a bloody answer, right? <laughs> Didn't you have to be removed? I, at the end of the interview? I, I, it's the worst bit. I actually thought we were going to come to blows. I thought either mm. he was going to hit me or was, I was he going sitting to hit opposite him. you or next to you on a yeah, in a great near? pile of cigarettes and painkillers. He's full of got some terrible problems with his. Um, his uh, arthritis and he has to have huge quantities oh, of yeah. liquid tomato every sort of two minutes you know. <laughs> anyway I came out of that and I, I, I thought after that it was my fault really because the point is he's Ginger Baker yeah. if I don't like it that's my fault you know that's the way he is Julian Clary however I found very difficult have you ever met Julian no oh, why was he difficult Julian Clary oh my god was he just really uptight yeah I mean I did this interview for a word to the wise it must have been about, I don't know quite early on maybe the third year or something and uh, he didn't I didn't know the, it's going to sound awful actually and I admit this is terrible error on my part. I didn't know the expression fourth wall. Mm. I said so he was going on about panto. Panto's really great. I said, no, why is it great? He said, no fourth wall. I said, sorry, I don't know what you mean. (laughs) And he was so mortified that I didn't know the expression fourth wall. He was horrified. He he just, that was the end of the interview. He just thought, I'm no longer going to No way. He just sat in the corner and said, ask your question if you must. You know, oh, fine. He gave glib, monosyllabic responses. But simply because I didn't know, and of course everybody listening was knows that the, 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 the well? play plays have a fourth wall, which is it's a self-contained uh, conversation which you, the observer in the audience, looks at. But the panto has no fourth; it only has three walls because it's crap. Because you're shouting <laughs> behind you, and Julian Clare is going, "Ooh, uh, I love to suck a fisherman's friend," or whatever his <laughs> hilarious new uh, innuendo is. Maybe that's. I like a warm hand upon my entrance, right? <laughs> Maybe that's the, this may be the, the clue to interviewing people that goes disastrously wrong or that you get mortified about. Because I had the same thing with Alison Krauss, which is that I just felt stupid. I, she made me feel extremely stupid. Why and did she make you feel stupid? Because, I remember well, I was trying came back to, a bit miserable. I came out very miserable because I obviously heart Alison Krauss. Yeah. And, um, and I was trying to talk to her about... Uh, the, the uh, political element of country music, of which there is a massive one, everybody knows this. And I just got really sort of floored because she said, I don't know what you're talking about. And I said, oh, well, you know, um, Toby Keith with the, you know, the Taliban song and stuff. And is there a big difference between that and, say, the, the politics of bluegrass? She said, 
you're going to have to understand what you're trying to ask me because you're going to explain what you're trying to ask me because I do not understand what you're saying. I don't. This is the most fundamental area of conversation. I felt like I was at school being told to stand up and do some mental maths and just getting it wrong and being sort of forced to be on the spot. It It was really weird. And then I came out and I thought... That was actually fine, but in that moment, you think, "Oh God, you know, I've, I've really." But it's, it, it sounds adolescent and unprofessional, but it's true. It's a bit of a heartbreaker. If yeah, you meet people if you like music somebody, you absolutely adore, yeah. and that they are diffident, patronising, <laughs> cold standoffs. But this was also the interview or where drunk. she, yeah, or, or drunk, or drunk, possibly drunk. Yes, this is the interview you, where she'd yeah. drawn the um, the curtains as well in order to be in the dark during the interview. So there was obviously something strange going on from the first. But she would only be interviewed in the dark. Why? Why? Well, she, I don't know. She said she was light sensitive. And that just made me think of those little kids out of that ghost film, The Others, who, you know, can't be in the light because they're going to melt or something. I thought, what's going to happen to you if, if you I mean, Nicole Kidman. Yeah. Well, can't go out. <laughs> yeah, she can't go out the She's sun. in The Others. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, we're sorry. That's <laughs> no, no, that's just a coincidence. Yeah. But, yeah, so it was odd. So she kind of pulled this curtain shut when I went, and I thought, oh, something's a bit strange here. And I was kind of, I remember sort of bouncing down the street in Kensington to meet her, just being so excited, because I thought, you know, this doesn't even feel like a formal interview because I've got so much I want to talk to her about. <laughs> and then how wrong I was. But, yeah, it was a good experience, as they say. Yes, a learning experience. Fraser, who did you meet who was drunk then? You were saying it was, uh, no, I think I've told this story on the podcast uh, before, but I'll, I'll repeat it here. It's, um, it was Nick Cave, and he came to do an interview at the radio station I was working at and uh, turned up a bit worse for wear. And I was a bit worried because we were in the process of applying for a full-time broadcast licence and we couldn't affa- afford to be have people on the air swearing. So I said to yep. his PR girl, which was a mistake in hindsight, I said, look... Can you just have a word and tell them to behave? You know what the situation is. She was like, yep, fine. She came back and said, talk to Nick. Red Every- rag, meat <laughs> ball. Exactly, yeah. Everything's Into fine. China shop. He's <laughs> going to be great. He'll behave himself. So Nick Cave goes on the air. DJ says, hey, Nick, how you doing? Puts out a fader. And Nick Cave says, I'm as drunk as a f- <laughs> That's quite rude, yeah. isn't it? That's sorry, listeners, if you've got the small children in the back of your car on the M4. Fraser, I didn't see that coming. That's pretty rude. Yeah, I'll, fl- I'll flag that one up. Christ almighty. So you well, were heartbroken. Absolutely heartbroken. I couldn't listen it's to It's like I've seen an anchor man. Yeah. You know, when he swears on a head. Oh, <laughs> which is that Yeah, scene? fuck you, Cincinnati. <laughs> Do you remember the end? Because yeah. <laughs> this was someone I'd, I'd, I'd badgered to get on the air for ages. I really wanted it. And mm. after that, I literally couldn't listen to it. Okay, for it's two that years. weird thing of feeling that they should know how much you love them before you speak to them. But so also the fact that you feel like the... you've been let down. Yeah. Yeah, that somehow your, your images are going to have to be revised. Yes. I don't want to revise my image. Have we ever had Barry McElhenney on the podcast? Yes, tell we the have, story yes. about we have. Did he tell the story about taking me from Daxies? No, Kevin I don't think so. Oh, right. Because he used to adore Kevin Ronan from Daxies. He worked for Melody Maker at the time, Barry. Yeah. And he wrote a slightly iffy, kind of, what well, I suppose you know, call a three-star review of the new uh, Meisterwork by Daxies <laughs> Midnight Runners. And he came out of the, of the, of the Melody Maker, and Kevin Ronan had been waiting for him. Did he hit him? Came up behind him. Put in a real kind of professional way, put his jacket over his head like that, yeah, and then duffed him. No. <laughs> so he said. Was that, this be- before he'd taken no, when he wearing got, a dress? Uh, that was before the dress, yes, otherwise he'd put the hem of his ball gown over his head, <laughs> <laughs> hit him with, a, his, with his, handbag. his his, his uh, string of pearls. Yeah, with his handbag. <laughs> Handbags at dawn. So, God. More. Quite, this is great. Okay, we have, we, have, uh, we have one last thing from Mr. Reno Dakota, oh, who I believe yeah, you've yeah. met. Yeah, and he says, uh, if you told Mark Allen the issue number, 
could he guess correctly who was on the cover star, uh, who was on the cover, and vice versa? Oh gosh! So I've I've secretly made a list. And oh, I'm oh test god, it's going to be quite hard actually. I, I used to be able to do this stuff. Go on. Let's, let's see. Um, who was on the cover of issue seventy six, which was June nineteen eight, uh, June two thousand nine, two thousand nine seventy six, seventy six two thousand nine seventy six. Somewhere in the region of Bono, it'll be Bono. Or somewhere near there. I think it was the person before Bono. Am I not far off there? Am I? Yeah, that's pretty good. Okay, so that would be something like is it Radiohead? Are we in that area? Are we in John Martin? No. Go on. Who is it? Iggy Pop. Okay, I don't think I'm that far off though. Iggy Pop. World of leather. (laughs) The world of leather look. Oh yeah. Uh, Issue forty-four, October two thousand six. People could make luggage (laughs) Iggy Pop's top half. It's Iggy Pop's torso. I think a matching medley of suitcases. Iggy 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 Jerky. That's the Iggy new one. Biltong. Iggy jerky would last a long oh time on the island. <laughs> You'd you have food for years, wouldn't you? Beef jerky made of Iggy. That's made awful. of Iggy's chest. Oh, God. oh God, no. Sorry, Fraser, please. That's right. I can't get it out of my head. <laughs> Who was on the cover of issue 44, October 2006? 2006, issue 44, Killers. No. Anywhere near? Uh... Issue 2006. A band like the Killers. <laughs> it's going to be. Is it Franz Ferdinand? It's not Franz Ferdinand. Oh, no, is it? It's Joe Strummer. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm way off there, actually. I'm just <laughs> better than this. Which issue featured Paul Weller on the cover? Well, twice. Paul Weller was on the cover of the probably eighth issue, the one after Dido, and then he was on the cover again. Hey, Mr. Tangerine Man. Uh, it's the most amazingly uh, rich Mediterranean hue, wasn't it? Do you remember? It looked like he just. Was I here then? I don't, I don't he looked like he's radioactive. He actually looked like... Was that the cover line, Hey, Mr. Tangerine? <laughs> no, he should have been. Screamer. He <laughs> <laughs> should have been. So that would have been the Paul Weller one. The uh, second one was about uh, three years in. So I guess it would be about 37. 30. Not bad. That's not Come bad. On, That's not, it's in the ballpark. Come on. And yeah. this one I reckon will do okay on. Joni Mitchell has adorned the cover of two issues. Which were Oh, yeah. Well, she's certainly on the cover of 52... Uh, which I think was the one where she's smoking a cigarette. Um, no, I'm wrong. I'm about 50 then. Must be 50. 50, yes. Right, across the 50th issue. And she's also on the cover of another one, which was a bit later. No, it was earlier. It was earlier. No, it was earlier. It was a piece by Jim Irvin, very good piece. So it's in the 30s, 34. 25. 20. Not bad. Thank you. Thank you. Hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of reassuring. Oh, <laughs> that's great. Well, what fun. Um, this is the word podcast, isn't it? It is the word podcast. And uh, One thing I should actually mention before we go, go is that we now have a podcast app. Oh, which God, is, yes, uh, plug that, for God's sake. Available uh, right now in the iTunes store. If you search for word, word podcast or word magazine, it'll come up. Or, uh, or visit the Word Magazine website where we talk all about it. And basically, it's a what, way. Sum it up. I don't know. Question: What systems have you get the special? It's an iPhone iTouch app, which allows you to have uh, access to the entire podcast archive, including the uh, the editions of the podcast that were recorded before the stuff that's currently on iTunes. So it's stuff that's not available elsewhere. That sounds well sounds worth good. having. You also get the podcast a day in front of uh, of anyone who hasn't got the app, and before it's been recorded. Not before it's been recorded. That would be too much. Before, you get to make before Kate Mossman has gone out to the first of a series of very strange clubs uh, with uh, Barbie dolls in the roof and drunk uh, body <laughs> weight in Red Bull and vodka and come in early the next morning and eaten a cheese sandwich and gone on out. I'm feeling more awake now, actually. So, yeah. That Red Bull's kicking in. What did I call it earlier? It's your Something Iron Bull. Iron Bull. <laughs> Red Bull. Red Brew. 
That's quite a good time. Red broom. That's good. <laughs> it's not all those. I'm just going to Didn't it say made from girders, didn't it? If you've been affected by any of the issues in this podcast, go to wordmagazine.co.uk or apply at your newsagent every month. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.